0: We welcome back Scott M. Paul. He's president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing, the AAM. They're a partnership established by some of America's leading manufacturers and the United Steelworkers Union. For years now, you have heard me talk about Scott and AAM and how great they are at working to make American manufacturing a top-of-mind issue for voters. And as you see from not only what our president says but also from these last election results, it is working. They've done it through effective advocacy, innovative research, and a savvy PR strategy. More than a pleasure to have back on the program, Scott Paul, president of the AAM. Happy Tuesday, Scott. Good to have you with us.
1: Happy Tuesday. Right back at you, Leslie.
0: It's not only Happy Tuesday. It's Happy Infrastructure Week,
1: right? It is. There should be a holiday or something, right? It's, it's, it's actually one of these Washington contrivances to try to draw attention to the fact that it's time to rebuild our country and that there are major constituencies who normally don't get get along particularly well, like the Chamber of Commerce and the AFL-CIO on the outside who think it's time. And there's also uh, a good bipartisan group uh, in the Congress who think it's time. And it's something that the president uh, uh, campaigned and talked about. Uh, But yet here we are you know we're we're in may there's no sign of an infrastructure plan. Uh, the bridges aren 't repairing themselves. the roads aren't building themselves and and we're having the same conversation we 've had for much of the last decade uh, in this nation, which is uh, why is our infrastructure falling apart? why can't we find the political will uh to to get moving on it it's It's going to take money to, to do it there's really no way around that uh so that we can reclaim the mantle place uh, around the world as having the most modern infrastructure that, you know, when people arrive here, they, 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 they are staring in awe and wonder rather than being incredibly appalled by uh, the roads they have to drive on or the airports they come into. Uh, so it's, we're, we're in a nutshell, we're trying to start a conversation. More importantly, at the end of it, we want to get something done
0: of, wow, Scott, I didn't even give you my questions for you. What a good segue. Um, Because one, one of the things that, you know, we talk about year after year is that regardless of political party, everyone says, we need to fix our nation's infrastructure. We know that the roads and especially the bridges aren't what they should be. We know what our terrible, nearly failing rating is. So because it's infrastructure week, and it's infrastructure week again, will we actually make real progress because we have some of the same problems, perhaps even worse problems, and the same mindset about it, which, you know, I think is an area where you can get bipartisan support, which is let's fix these things. Will we actually make real progress this year?
1: Uh, I, I wish that I could be the soothsayer and say absolutely yes, but uh, I'm going I'm to be real about this. I mean, there are some challenges that will make it extraordinarily difficult from a policy and from a politics perspective. Let's talk about the policy first. Uh, you know, we have a we have a huge need. Um, we probably have somewhere close to five trillion dollars in infrastructure that needs to be rebuilt or modernized uh, or installed uh, to bring us up to a state of the art. Level and, and it's a shocking number five trillion dollars. is what the American Society for Civil Engineers says, which is not some kind of you know uh, left wing you know spend it will group. I mean these are these are serious people who say you know we need five we need probably five trillion dollars. Now the the challenge is. We have problems scraping up even about 150 billion dollars a year to do this, and that's basically status quo funding. And uh, you know, so, and we have to find a way to finance this. And so it means either we raise taxes, we raise user fees like on toll roads, uh, we raise specifically the gas tax, which is a user fee for people who drive on our highways uh... we look to wall street uh... and private investors uh... to help finance this with with which comes with some strings attached or we we deficit spend uh... or some combination of all of that but that's certainly where the policy gets tricky and then on the political side so let's talk politics you know this is one of the areas where at the very beginning of this administration when people looked at well what are some areas that Trump and Democrats might be able to work on uh, one was trade policy uh a, a, what, the other was was infrastructure and uh, i think the challenge is that it, nearly every action that the administration has taken so far uh has moved it away from seeking uh any sort of meaningful partnership uh... with Democrats who are interested in infrastructure investment, and the same can be said for paul ryan uh, and and Mitch McConnell, uh, who haven't demonstrated any leadership whatsoever uh, on these issues. And so we have both some some policy challenges and that political challenge, uh, the, coupled by the fact that we have, a calendar uh, in Washington that is growing more crowded as as these scandals pop up. And and before the end of September, Washington will need to either pass a budget, uh, it will need to raise the debt limit. Um, There will be some other, obviously, confirmations, including of a new FBI director that that could be very tricky. Uh, The Republicans want to still try to repeal um, the Affordable Care Act uh, and there's also talk of where does where does tax reform fit into this so you can see w- my concern which is this keeps getting shoved off and off and off into the into the horizon the problems don't get smaller the politics don't get easier uh, I think it's you know I think it takes some leadership from the president uh, to say let's come together let's figure out a path forward uh, and and let's got, get on it because as you said, Democratic, Republican, independent voters—they all want this. I mean, the, these bridges are, aren't just in red states or blue states; they're all over the place where they're deficient, and so, uh, so there's we're, we're wasting time.
0: And speaking of, you talked about politics. Let's expand to that group uh, because labor leaders, business executives, government officials—I mean, politicians—and even average Americans seem to be able to line up on opinion, where are areas that they do not, Scott? I think everybody in those groups agrees infrastructure needs to be repaired. Is it? Where does the money come from? How do we do it? What do we address first? A combination of those? D, all of the above? What do you think?
1: All great questions. And so there are some fundamental issues that have been resolved in the past. And I'll point out that, like, Ronald Reagan, added, it's a, yet Ronald Reagan and a yeah Ronald Reagan and the Democratic Party passed a major uh, expansion in the early '80s, and it's always been kind of a bipartisan exercise. So we have we have to figure out the financing. We have to figure out who makes these decisions: is it the federal government or the state? We have to figure out the role of the private sector. Uh, and we have to figure out how we define infrastructure. Is it uh, bro- roads, bridges, uh, ports, waterways, uh, water pipes for clean water? Does it also include our, our energy grid, uh, which, is, which is old and inefficient? Uh, our broadband, which you, we need to extend and speed up so that uh, people in hard-to-reach communities have access to the same opportunities as those of us in, in big cities do? And so these are all questions that need to be answered, but you you can't answer any of them until you really start that conversation, and that process, and that's where there's been a gap in leadership.
0: You know, it would seem at least by polls, and, and when you talk to folks on either side of the aisle, that there's more optimism, at least a little bit more, this time around this year with regard to infrastructure and actually something being done about it. Do you share in that optimism?
1: I I think that my optimism was higher uh say 5 or 6 months ago than it is today and that optimism uh 5 or 6 months ago was built on the fact that you know that that both you know Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton and earlier Bernie Sanders had had campaigned on infrastructure uh it made it an important piece of their campaign and and all thought that, you know, somewhere in the vicinity of a trillion dollars sounded like a pretty good number. Um, yeah, they had different ways of getting there, but that's, you know, a trillion dollars would at least make some progress towards uh, addressing the challenge. And we, we know from our own polling and from, from every other poll out there that it is one of those few sweet spots in American politics where you have uh, large large groups of democrats, republicans and independents who think it's a great idea to do this. You don't find that on a lot of other issues, but on infrastructure you do. And so, uh that coupled with the fact that there was uh on the outside uh this interest from uh America's labor movement and the Chamber of Commerce, which again, uh, you know, disagree on virtually everything, could come together and say that this is a priority. I was I was tremendously optimistic but you know the the circumstances have changed and we have not seen a plan yet and it's uh, we we have a we have a long way to go and again without that without that leadership uh and without that willingness of Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan to get engaged as well it's going to be hard. two
0: accounts there, Scott. The first one was uh, the the in- in- infrastructure being uh you know one of the few, if only issue that left and right agree on and it could get bipartisan support to your point. Um, Elaine Chow basically said that President Trump plans on sharing his vision in the next few weeks. is that going to be his plan because I think we know. Some of his plan, or at least some key points. I know the Hill wrote a piece about five things uh, we know about Trump's uh, infrastructure plan, and and you know, I mean, is that are you comfortable with that a vision? I mean, Democrats put forth you know a bold plan uh, in January.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. So let's put it this way: if it's anything like the Trump tax plan, that's not going to move the debate forward because that was a few ideas scribbled on a page of paper that rehashed some of the things that he had promised during the campaign though not in any specific way and if if again this Trump vision is just that we want to engage the private sector to do this we want to spend this money um you know, I don't know that that's going to move the debate uh, forward very much. I think what would move the debate forward is calling in the bipartisan congressional leaders as well as the big players who support this, who have big constituencies, like Rich Trumka of the afl and Tom Donahue of the Chamber of Commerce, and say, "Let's get to work. I I want a bill that I can sign." Uh, within, you know, X number of weeks and, and, and give the broad goals. Let's make it a trillion dollars over five years uh, and, and, let, and, and let's get this done. I think the challenge is that I'm not sure that uh, Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell want to spend this money on infrastructure. Yeah, I think they're much more interested in a corporate tax cut. And, and so, it, you know, if, if the vision is a, is a roadmap on how you get from point A to point B and it involves this kind of political capital and leadership, then it will be helpful. If it's anything like that one sheet tax plan, uh, it's a joke. Do you find it odd that yesterday they kick off this infrastructure week without having a clear
0: picture of what the uh, rebuilding package, the infrastructure package, would look like? I mean, we know it's going to be and has to be massive, but at the same time, yesterday would have been the, the, the best uh, you know, time to do it, and this week, you know, uh, you know a great opportunity to put that forth
1: that's a really good point leslie and i think that when people were plotting out the calendar and when you got the indications from both paul ryan and uh... and the president on 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 kind of the the year ahead they thought by this point they'd have health care done that they would be moving on to taxes and infrastructure and that they could have those done before August, um, but as we know, reality set in, and they're nowhere close to doing any of this. So, it would, of course, been much more helpful to have some guidance from the president on how to proceed. You know, I would say I I I like what the Senate Democrats did with their plan. They opened big, they opened bold, uh, they laid out a very specific framework. About how they wanted to get this done, both from financing and scope, uh, and all of that, and and that that's what we need right now. Uh, Scott
0: Paul is president of the AAM. We're going to be back with him, and we're going to be back with you, president for the Alliance for American Manufacturing. Pick up the phone and join us. eight 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 six Leslie eight 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 six five three seven five four three Follow Scott Paul on Twitter at Scott Paul AAM. We are back. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome, welcome back. He is Scott Paul, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing, the AAM, and let's take some calls. We go to Manassas, Virginia, first up, on line two, with
2: Ishmael, regular caller to
0: me. The- appreciate his questions, comments, and concerns. Ishmael, a question for Scott?
2: Yes, uh, Leslie, thank you so much for taking my call, and uh, good day to you, Scott, um, you know, infrastructure bill. I think is going to benefit everybody. You know, it's going to create jobs. Businesses will benefit. You know, and and businessmen and companies will benefit. So I don't understand why it's not something that uh, both uh, uh, private industries and 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 citizens basically pushing forward. Um, my question to you, and let me actually, I re- recently read in Reuters that China is planning to spend one trillion dollars on the infrastructure. You know, I I don't know about you, but I think that's going to be a game changer, which is probably uh, going to kind of put them ahead in terms of infrastructure. And also the other thing I read that they're going to be including rail, like speed rail, like train, like fast trains, part of the whole project, which is a little bit uh, uh, amazing. But my question to you, one, what's the latest update on infrastructure that Trump promised to us? You know, what's the latest on that?
1: Yeah, it's Ishmael is a very good question, and so you know Trump during the Trump President Trump during the campaign had said uh, he wanted to achieve a trillion dollars in infrastructure build. Um, The the plan that uh, Peter Navarro and Wilbur Ross, who are now the Commerce Secretary, and uh, the head of the Office of Manufacturing Trade Policy inside the White House. The plan that they put together during the campaign for Trump uh, relied on federal tax credits and private investment, uh, in addition to about to leverage about 200 billion dollars in public spending to get there. Okay, so that's what Trump promised. He hadn't delivered anything. Uh, I mean, so we're 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 uh, you know we're we're still at uh, yet to have started that. Um, debate. Uh, you, on the other hand, and I'm glad that you referred to China, because China has been modernizing its infrastructure for uh, much of the last uh, 20 years um, and has uh, high-speed rail, You know, much more so than the United States. The closest thing we have to it is the Acela, uh, which is not high-speed by any standards except for American standards, uh, and now china is expanding uh it, 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 it internationally it's it's transportation infrastructure through a belt and road initiative which looks to create recreate uh both maritime trade routes so that's expanding ports um, uh widening them uh, making sure sea lanes are clear uh, as well as uh overland ports uh uh and roads uh and, and rail through central asia and through pakistan and up into russia uh and and the goal of all of this is to channel basically 65% of the world's population uh and a big chunk of its gdp uh directly at china uh, rather than at the united states and so you know unless we get at it uh we're we're going to fall even farther behind and everybody knows that you know unless you have a modern infrastructure it's hard for your economy to run efficiently uh, which means it's hard to attract uh, jobs you want to get back from overseas, uh, and uh, and so we're we're just we're putting ourselves further and further behind while China is moving ahead. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad you raised that difference because it's it's something that's deeply concerning to me.
0: Uh, thank you, Ishmael. Anything else? Uh, no, thank you, Ishmael. Appreciate that. Scott, with regard, uh, to China, my understanding is they, um, have a, uh, state-funded, uh, subsidy, uh, for, and you were talking about, you know, infrastructure for freight rail. Um, I, uh, forgive my ignorance, I'm not sure if that's a part of or comes under the umbrella of high speed or if that's separate, I would imagine it would be hard to deliver freight at high speed, but then again, if it's enclosed, I guess that is possible. But what I'm hearing is that China's uh, plan to do that could actually eliminate 65,000 American jobs. Is that correct? Um, h- how does that happen, and, and what can we do about it? How do we get these jobs back?
1: Oh, Leslie! Great question, and I'm glad you brought that up because there was a study that's just been released in the past couple of days. Uh, I think done by Oxford Economics that looked at uh, the Chinese government's investment in its rail car industry. So actually, the you know those intermodal cars that you see on freight rail, they get transferred from the big uh, from the big uh, uh, transoceanic ships. Uh, onto the rails. Uh, obviously, when you think about all this global trade, there's a lot of those rail cars that are that are manufactured, and you know, the, the United States had traditionally been a center of this because we had a well-developed freight rail network uh, that began uh, with the completion of the uh, Transcontinental Railroad in the 1860s uh, and moved on until very recently, where we've kind of scaled back freight. Rail a little bit, but uh, China's investment uh, and its government's investment, in particular, in the rail car industry, could mean that you know, in addition to uh, losing so much of our other manufacturing to China, Leslie, that we may also lose this uh, rail car industry as well. And just doesn't make sense. We have the steel mills, we have the know-how, we have the welders. Uh, we can do these rail cars here, uh, but but because this industry is so heavily state subsidized, we may soon be uh, importing our rail cars, uh, along with many other things, uh, from China.
0: Uh, lots of questions, Um, one of which is money, and you addressed that when we talk about our own infrastructure, which we don't have a vision or plan from the president yet. We've heard some ideas, Uh, and one of the ideas, he said, is it's going to cost a trillion dollars. Do we have the money for that? Would Congress agree to that? You know, Republicans are always trying to take the hatchet to anything that requires federal funding. So does it just out of the box not happen because of the cost attached?
1: yeah well and that is that is going to be the most difficult piece of this and again, if it's part of a larger deal that maybe involves some tax relief or or tax reform, I think it's entirely possible to strike a grand bargain that would benefit blue collar workers that would benefit, that would benefit people who commute that would benefit businesses that depend on efficient uh... infrastructure to get their goods to and from market um, and would benefit our tourism because our ports would be improved uh, as well both our airports and our seaports uh... and and so i i don't know that necessarily a trillion dollars is something that's going to be impossible to achieve i'm realistic i you know will it be a trillion dollars in direct spending Yeah, you know, i'd like to see that but if it's if it's mostly direct spending but there are some tax credit and in very specific circumstances there are well regulated public private partnerships, uh, then I think that can be a workable model as well. But we have to start this conversation and I will point out that one of the few taxes that some Republicans are willing to even take a look at raising is the gas tax as a user fee for financing infrastructure investment. Because that that tax uh has, has not been adjusted uh, for, for uh, more than 20 years, in fact, maybe even 25 years, uh, and yet the price of gas has, has adjusted. Our fuel economy standards have adjusted. The, the needs for the roads have adjusted. Our population has adjusted. Um, but, but that tax is still stuck uh, way back in the early 90s, uh, and, and I think we're going to have to take a look at uh, increasing that uh, if we want to get this done.
2: Is there,
0: and I would imagine that there's a great deal of red tape that has to be cut through for something um, like this and on this scale. Can you talk to us about some of the red tape and if it's possible to cut through that?
1: Yeah, and this is a this is a good question, and this is something that I, I will say a lot. I think a lot of progressives probably struggle with a bit. Uh, you know, you want to make sure that if you're putting in into place infrastructure, that it is uh, that is not going to in a, be net harmful to the environment, to ecosystems, to critical habitats uh, to health and safety, a, a lot of other factors like that at the same time, there are what I would call you know not in my backyard groups that use these mechanisms to indefinitely delay. Projects And I can speak to something that affects me in the Maryland suburbs. There's, there's, a, there's a proposed light rail thing called the, called the Purple Line, which would have extraordinary benefits to low-income people who need to get to and from work and, and right now have to take two or three buses to it. Uh, but there is a, there's a wealthy community that has a lot of backing that is upset because its bike trail will be altered not not done away with, but altered. Uh, and they filed court injunctions that are essentially blocking this project. And to me, that seems, that seems like it's over the top. So I think there's a middle way here where you can have proper uh, vetting of these projects, but you can also eliminate some of these hassles uh, that, that we don't necessarily need. Uh, and it does explain why it takes so long from a project to get from start to finish. Uh, I'm just thinking, you know, in your neck of the woods now, like the LA subway system, you know, and and, and and the genesis of that. I mean these things take a long time to get off the ground and get done and I don't I don't necessarily think it should be that way.
0: The public private partnership then is part of that red tape, right?
1: Well it, it can be. And I think this is the challenge and this is why uh, this is why we have to be cautious because there are public private partnerships which essentially means a private company will be operating a road, a bridge, or some other piece of infrastructure and it will generate user fees that will help it return uh, it's the investment that it has made, the upfront capital that it has provided that it provides for these for these projects. We have to be careful about both you know what the return the taxpayers are, that the fees aren't too high, that the, that the infrastructure is needed, uh, and that this is a good deal both for the private entity uh, and for commuters or users and taxpayers as well. And, and some governors in some cases, because uh, this is mostly done at the state level, have gotten it right and have done a, a, a reasonably good job uh, of, of, of protecting the public's interests. In other cases, they've turned out to be disasters. And so we need to learn from the mistakes uh, and also from the best practices uh, and be cautious. But I will say this, that shouldn't be the primary way that we're financing infrastructure. It should be through that federal spending and state spending, uh, but in, in perhaps big projects in targeted areas where there can be some return on investment. Uh, for uh, those companies and also a public good, uh, then it makes makes sense to look at some of these partnerships, I think.
0: The president has said that once passed, he wants to implement this right away, even though we don't know what this is yet. Um, Can it be shovel-ready? I mean, how fast would it take something like this to implement? There are a range of projects that have to be dealt with.
1: Th- there really are. And I would and this is where it's a little different than the Recovery Act that we had in two thousand and nine. Because in the Recovery Act in two thousand and nine we had high double digit employ- unemployment in many areas. Uh the stock market had tanked. It was hard to find a job. Um the uh the the, the federal budget kind of bottomed out um and and we were in an entirely different situation, so then you did want to kind of look for the shovel ready projects to get people back to work and 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 uh, and and to get some public goods out of it. Now, I think it makes sense to look at what are high yielding projects that are going to be important uh, not only tomorrow but also ten twenty five fifty years from now that are going to have a lasting impact on the united states and that's kind of the tradition uh, under which the uh, the the eisenhower interstate highway system was created uh... we're thinking way back to the canal system uh, in the early eighteen hundreds is that that it wasn't based on just this congressman wants this road uh, because it'll help him with reelection. But it's rather uh, it's rather a look at uh, what's going to help the American people uh, in the next generation and and keep us as a thriving, modern, connected uh, country. And so the, those projects may cost a little more money. They they may take a little bit longer to get started, uh, but the but the return to our nation will be much greater. So I, look, I think you have to set some, some piece of this aside uh, for those, those big ticket items, uh, as well as looking at other things that have just been uh, underinvested because uh, we just don't have enough resources. And by that, I'm thinking of like our clean water infrastructure and, and how many flints we could prevent uh, if we just got those pipes in the ground uh, and got it done.
2: That,
0: that, you know what, that I probably I, I think is probably the best example under the umbrella of infrastructure I've ever heard, Scott. And I'm not just saying that because I like you and you're on my show. I'm not kissing up to you. I mean it. I, I mean it. And, I, and I've talked about the issue of infrastructure to you and many others for years now. Speaking of, is it fair to say that any infrastructure bill, because we don't know what the president clearly is putting forth, we have some ideas and some talking points of his potential vision,
1: but is any infrastructure
0: bill a job creator
1: uh, well i I think that any time that you're going to put uh construct something, you're obviously going to create construction jobs. there will be some jobs maintaining that infrastructure as well that that can come out of the the public sector uh, and then there's the materials that are required. Required for infrastructure, and those come from manufacturing. And this is why, and we haven't talked about this yet, but I think it's very important that we should have um, Buy America laws, uh, and and that's the uh, that ensures that there will be benefits to manufacturing that we're using American iron and steel uh, to build those bridges uh, uh, and and put the rebar into those concrete highways that we need, and to put the rails on the new transit systems. Um, and so there can be extraordinary benefits to our economy and, and, and good job creation. And, and this is for people who don't necessarily want or need to get a four-year college degree but are skilled in the construction trades, are skilled welders, uh, are steel workers. Uh, and that's the kind of jobs that our society so desperately needs to generate if we are to rebuild our middle class. This is a great middle class. Class Opportunity Project.
2: Thank you, Scott.
0: Happy Tuesday. Scott Paul can be followed at Scott Paul AAM And check out the website, AmericanManufacturing.org. By the way, they have a great section where they have companies that make American products. So if you want to start the Buy American that can help to hire American before the president's vision comes out, do it.